today we're going to talk about Christmas. Um, it seems to me, you know, as we go through the year and uh, usually Easter and the crucifixion, the resurrection, uh, they kind of get a lot of attention because there's really no preparation for that. Um, Christmas, however, takes a lot of preparation. <laughs> Thankfully, my wife handles most of it. <laughs> but with all the decorating and buying the presents and wrapping the presents, which uh, she pretty much spent the day yesterday doing, I was working on this, so I had a good excuse. Um, <laughs> but really, by the time Christmas hits, you're so worn out and... Uh, Kind of glad all the preparations over and the cooking still to come. And I don't, I don't know if we really sit down and give a lot of thought to what actually went on on that first Christmas day, um, roughly two thousand years ago. So I thought maybe we would uh, kind of cover that and and uh, take an inside look at uh, actually what went on and. When you look at Exodus, there's an interesting parallel. There was 430 years of silence from God. And then he finally heard the cry of his people. And he knew it was time to free them from their oppressor. Um, and when you look at the birth of Christ, um, the book of Malachi was... No coincidence, that was the last book of the Old Testament, was written around 430 B.C. Um, so again, there were 430 years of total silence from God, just nothing. And uh, I just think it's an interesting parallel that all of a sudden he decided he heard the cry of his people who were being oppressed by another ruler, this time not a pharaoh, but probably a more uh, dangerous ruler, one who was a murderer and a liar and a thief from the beginning. And God decided it was time to, uh, as was prophesied, crush his skull. So, in his wisdom, he decided he knew exactly how he was going to do it. He knew from the beginning how it was going to happen. And he knew it was time for the redemption of mankind to free them from the uh, corrupt belief system of the enemy and bring in a new belief system, one God-centered belief system, one that's um, not a belief system that leads to death, but leads to life. Uh, not only life here, but life eternal. And comfort and rest and but he knew that he had to send someone that would accomplish that. And he knew it had to be someone not corruptible, someone who was perfect. Um, and uh, actually, since man does not always fit that description, um, he knew it would have to be God himself to come to earth and redeem mankind. So all he had to do was decide how 
and in what form that was going to take. Um, that he knew to accomplish the impossible, it would not only have to be God himself, but also a man. Because man needed to see that a man could die and be resurrected and be given eternal life. So we would know that we as men are the same as that, that we would one day die and have eternal life. So it was kind of a difficult task. He needed someone that would be fully God and fully man. And so that kind of brings us to that first Christmas. And I thought we'd take a look at the who, the where, the when, and the how, and the why, which is probably the most important, of that first Christmas. Uh, as far as the who, if you look at, go back to Genesis 1-1, um, you get a probably the first glimpse of what's become known as the Holy Trinity. Uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 says, The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So where, there we see the Spirit. And God said, there we see God. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. Now we see the Word of God. So basically the early glimpse of the triune God, which is now known as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in its early form was God, the Word of God, and the breath of God. So God decided, well, I can send my word, my immortal word, send it to the earth in the form of mortal man. So he kind of had the who decided at that point. But he still had some other things to uh, work out. Where? Where would this take place? Where would the Redeemer of mankind make his appearance on the earth? Well, we all know God is uh, pretty big on fulfilling prophecy. Um, there aren't a whole lot of pro There's a, I think, 350 or so messianic prophecies that talk about Jesus in the Old Testament. But there's only one that talks about where he's going to appear. And that's in Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel. So now we got the who, and we got the where. Bethlehem. Of course, that prophecy didn't really bode well for the children of Bethlehem. Because... Um, that told where Jesus was going to be born. So that told the ruler at the time where he needs to go to possibly find Jesus and start killing little children. But that's another whole story. But anyway, we got the who, we got the where, now we need the when. The when is a pretty interesting uh, dynamic. Um, again, there are a whole lot of prophecies that talk about when this would actually happen. And I'm not talking about the when, the time of year, because that's another whole Bible study. 
Um, Daniel 9 talks about the 70 weeks prophecy, which is pretty amazing when you look at it. Um, Angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel and told him that there would be a period of 69 weeks, which works out to 483 years from the time of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem by King Artaxerxes of Persia around 445 BC, which is found in Nehemiah. Now that's a pretty accurate time frame. This is one of the few prophecies in scripture that give you an actual time frame. So according to this prophecy from 445 BC, when the king of Persia told Nehemiah that he could rebuild Jerusalem, to, as the scripture says, when Gabriel said, 483 years until the anointed one, the ruler comes, which would correspond to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem around 31 AD. 483 years from 445 BC, and since in that time years were 360 days, it actually works out exactly to 32 AD. When the anointed one appears, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So that was prophesied in Daniel many years before the fact. Um, so that pretty much pinpointed when it would happen. I, I think another interesting uh, dynamic about when is um, looking at the days of creation. Um, there are many biblical scholars, a lot smarter than I, that actually took the genealogies in scripture and backed up and th this could open up a whole discussion of new earth, old earth, which I won't get into. But they actually calculated that the earth was created in 4004 BC. Um, even the Jews, the Jewish year, we're now in 5782. And what they did was start counting from Adam as year zero. And again, there are 360 day years. Some of those years have 13 months. So it's kind of a complicated thing. Um, but they put it at, and obviously there, there's, they may not speak about Christ's birth, but you know, when they went from the BCE to the common era was 3761 BC. So again, roughly about 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. Um, I always find it interesting when you look at the days of creation, day one, God created light. There was light everywhere, light separated from darkness, which to me is kind of a symbol of God and God's life being the light and obviously the darkness being the wisdom of the enemy. Um, but what's interesting is you have light on day one, but you don't have a source of light. There's nothing to see that where the light's coming from until day four. Um, now, it's been said that a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So just kind of bear with me here. If day four is 4,000 years after creation, that puts... And on day four, what was created was 
the source of the light. Um, so day four could be ending basically at the birth of Christ. Now the source of the light appears. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably one of the first messianic prophecies in scripture, basically in the days of creation. Um, as far as the, let me digress a little bit. The December 25th date, I think most people would agree or not that uh, Christ wasn't born on December 25th. <laughs> Probably not even in December. Maybe not even in winter. Um, I did a little research. If you look at when the angel appears to Zacharias, uh, John the Baptist's father, he was in the priestly division of Abijah, and it was his time to be priest. And I did a little back research from that point. Um, and knowing Christ was born six months after John the Baptist. In my very flawed research, I uh, actually put the date of birth somewhere in the spring near Passover. Um, again, that's my totally unofficial research, but just the reason December 25th was chosen is kind of interesting. It was chosen back in a time when Gnosticism was popular. And the Gnostics believed that only the spirit was good. The body was evil. And they held an annual celebration at the onset of every winter to basically revel in the depravity of the material world. So they obviously everybody's a very uh, touchy subject. Yeah. Um, but they didn't believe in the birth of Christ because nobody could be good that has a body. So how could Christ be good? And he certainly couldn't be God. He had a body. A body is depraved. A body is evil. So, back then, whenever that was, um, the church just randomly decided, let's celebrate the birth of Christ, basically in the face of the Gnostics, because that's pretty much actually around the day when they had their big celebration. So they decided that would be a, uh, a good time to uh, celebrate that. So anyway, that gives us the who. The where and the when. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and now it gets a little more complicated. How? How is this God man, redeemer of mankind, going to enter into this hostile place called Earth? Um, if God was going to impose himself onto man's existence, with the purpose of freeing them from the grasp of a powerful adversary, you would think he would want to appear in a way that displays his mighty power, just like he did in Egypt, when he kind of one by one went after the gods, starting with the very powerful Nile god, and ending with the even more powerful Ra, the sun god, and all the ones in between. He needed to show his power over 
forces of darkness. So that was one option. And I, I always go back to Elijah when uh, Elijah was waiting on God. And uh, God said he was going to appear. And then there was this mighty wind that broke up the mountains and broke up the stones. And, and it said that God wasn't in the wind. And there was this mighty earthquake. Elijah's figuring that's got to be God and that God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it was a big fire and burning up everything. And Elijah's thinking, got to be it. Got to be God. But God did not appear in the fire. And all of a sudden, there was this, as scripture says, a still, small voice. And that's when God appeared. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, God, in his wisdom, his love of man, but also his humility, and that's sometimes a quality we don't, we always attribute to Jesus, but Jesus is God. So, humility is a big thing for God. So he chose not to appear in the mountains, breaking up, or the earthquake, or the fire. Um, and again, prophecy, Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and I pretty much told God how he's going to do it. Like I said, not an earthquake, not a fire, just a still, small voice in a little makeshift cradle, in a stable, among the animals. God appears. Not a bit, not a whole lot of fanfare. But again, he was aware that this Jesus would be known as the second Adam. So he kind of, I think he liked the parallels of Adam. Woman came forth out of man. Now a man comes forth out of a woman. And that when you think God's original desire was to have one fully God, fully man, what better way than for him to be born as a child, fulfilling scripture and prophecy, but also whose parents, father was God, mother was a human, then basically mission accomplished. Fully God, fully man. So, that kind of covers the when, the where, how, this up. Um, yeah, I think I did. Um, what about the why? And I, and I think that's the most important part of the whole Christmas story. Um, there was death in the world. And God's people were oppressed. And one of the, you know, Jesus' initial mission, obviously, his first mission was to redeem mankind. Basically, he was born to die. 
to go to the cross to take on the corrupt belief system in himself and basically put death to death. But I think another important part of Jesus' mission was to rightly and correctly interpret the scriptures because at that point, most people saw God in the Old Testament as this angry, vengeful, even murderous God who watches everything that they're doing and taking notes and making a list, um, deciding who he's going to smite and who he's not. And really, that's not the way God wanted people to see. Because if, you, if you're misinterpreting scripture, you're basically misinterpreting God. Um, and that's a dangerous thing. It's almost as dangerous as not knowing God at all, is knowing God incorrectly and believing incorrectly who God is. Not knowing that he's a loving God and wants nothing but good and, and life for his people, not punishment and wrath. Um, and and this, this is where when we go back to who he decided, and, and that's kind of a mystery of God. You got God is one God, but he's also his spirit and his word. Or, you know, when he said it back in scripture, let us make man, and people wonder us, who's us? Who's he talking to? Well, again, the mystery of God, his word is actually part of him, his word is him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So something is with him, but it's also him. I'm not gonna try to unpack that mystery, but in his wisdom, he decided I'm going to, as John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Um, took his word and it became Jesus. And I, I it's it's just hard to grasp the enormity of that statement that the word became flesh. That Jesus is the very embodiment of the word of God. And if you think about it, at that time when Jesus appeared and began his ministry, the only word that was really available were the old Testament scriptures of wrathful, vengeful God. So it would seem to me if Jesus was the embodiment, the human embodiment of the word of the Old Testament, then he would probably be angry, vengeful, mean, looking to smite, if that were truly the nature of God. But I think one of the important things about Jesus's nature and humility is if he's the word of God, then maybe we've been misinterpreting the word of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one time when his apostles suggested he smites the Samaritans because they weren't really receiving him, Jesus pretty much said, uh, you don't know what spirit you're speaking of. He basically told them, uh, 
that statement is of the devil. That's not me. So I, I think that was a very important part of why Jesus was born and walked the earth. Um, because again, he knew that scripture misinterpreted was God misinterpreted. Um, J.W., not J.W., A.W., Tozer, many years ago, said something I think is pretty important today. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, a simple statement, but it's true, and we can uh, get into this when we get into some discussion, but I I'm sure we all have stories of when we incorrectly interpreted scripture and thus incorrectly interpreted God. I'm sure we all had our own thoughts of who God is, how he sees us, uh, how my behavior might matter in God's eyes. I'm sure we all have the horror stories. Um, so it is important to know uh, not only to interpret scripture correctly, but to interpret Jesus correctly. That he's just, he's not that little baby, little plastic baby in a manger we see everywhere. Um, there, there's a song, and I'm a little hoarse, so I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Shelly is either. <laughs> I got it right here. I got it right here. Oh, yeah, let, yeah. I got it right here. <laughs> Actually, uh, I was, <laughs> was going to do the word made flesh, the musical today. But, uh, <laughs> Talked him out of it. Yeah. Well, uh, lack of voice talked me out of it. Uh, and I'm on decongestant, so if I fall asleep, you know, y'all bear with me. And if any of y'all fall asleep, I'll assume y'all are. <laughs> we handed it out beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that'll make me feel a lot better. Um, but I don't know which song you wrote. You know, this is, Jill and I sang it. Probably, would you say it's our favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Probably our favorite. We sang it on the way here. It was uh, on the radio. You going to sing for um, it? I'm not going to sing for you. Um, and Samiri, did you know? Oh, yeah. Yep. And, you know, if you can imagine putting your name in there or, you know, if you're a mom, imagine, imagine the whole story is just <laughs> breathtaking. I mean, it's her husband. And, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'll read it for you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save your sons and daughters? You know that your baby boy has come to make you new. Love that. Mm -hmm. This child you delivered will someday deliver you. Mary, did you know your baby boy will give the sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy um, would calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. That's it. That's it. <clears throat> Mary, did you know 
The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, and praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Mary, did you know that your baby boy was heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child that you are holding is the great I am. That's just... Mm. Is that what you were thinking about? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And really, that one line. You know, we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> and that one line that when you kiss them, that you were kissing the face. That, that one, that one line gets me every time. Yeah. Um, oh, we have a newcomer. Okay, I got to start over. Let's go back to Exodus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, we, the who, the where, the when, the how, and the why. Okay, I think we covered all. Um, but but really, you know, the title of today is uh, "The Worm Was Made Flesh: A Christmas Story." Um, I think it's if we dwell on nothing, and as as Christmas approaches in a couple of weeks. And we all take a deep breath because we've accomplished it all. You know, we, we just really need to take a few moments and think about um, God in that little trough, a feeding trough. And I guess I was, you know, I guess that's... There's a lot to be said about that. What, a feeding trough? <laughs> that he's in a feeding trough. That he feeds. Yeah, that's true. Oh. I mean, that's where that's where you go to eat. That's where the animals went to sustain life. That's where they got fed. He's the bread of life. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh, come on, babe. Okay. No, and really, I guess, you know, being, you know, God's wisdom, being the second Adam, it would make sense if there's animals around. That was pretty much... Probably all of that was around when Adam was around. But, you know, the thing about the Word made flesh, that Jesus walking the earth was the actual Word, and I, I kind of, I, I take that to, there are places when Jesus would say something about himself. Um, and really, if you... If you look at, and it's mostly in John, and that's no coincidence, because John obviously got it. I mean, he opens his letter, his gospel, with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not something you just figure out yourself. You know, you know where that came from. So John really got it, and, and probably through his whole gospel, he's watching Jesus, thinking, Word of God in the flesh, the embodiment of the Word of God. And now, you know, we have benefit of more scripture than they had back then. Um, but if you look at some things that Jesus said, um, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Um, I like to substitute me for the Word of God, because he is the Word of God. If you had known the Word of God, you would have known my Father also. 
And how many how many times did he tell the Pharisees that, you know, if you knew the word, you would have known God. You have no idea who God is. And I always love the uh, the woman caught in adultery when, you know, his last statement to her was, you know, neither do I condemn you. Well, I like to look at that and say, neither does the word of God condemn you. And and all the I am's in John, the word of God is the light of the world. The word of God is the resurrection and the life. The word of God is the way, the truth, and the life. And and I'll, I just like to do that in when I'm reading most of the New Testament, that there are just so many places where Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about the word of God. And, and really, you know, probably the most important, well, one of the most important, when, when he says, if you abide in me, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Well, let's take that as the word. He who abides in the word of God, and the word of God abides in him, will bear much fruit. For without the word of God, you can do nothing. So again, it it helps you see Jesus in a whole nother light, not just the WWJD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice little guy, flower child, walking the earth, loving everybody, patting kids on the head. Um, stoic flower. Hmm? A stoic flower child. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is God walking the earth. That's God on the cross. But it's also the word of God. It's also everything you every quality you see in jesus is the embodiment of the word from genesis 1 1 through revelation 20 whatever whatever um so I, again i would just encourage everybody to take a moment this christmas and just think about that baby and what that baby is and the wisdom of god that decided the how and the where and the who and the when and the why and it just of, of course it was just done in such a perfect way and that there's just so much beauty and richness in the whole christmas story i think a lot of people just don't really dwell on it so again i would just encourage everybody to uh dwell on it yeah. think about it what it is we're celebrating. Well, you know, I was thinking, would, would let up to it. I mean, if you think about Mary going up to Joseph saying, I'm pregnant, <laughs> but I have relations with a man, I mean, 99.9% of Jews would have had a stone on the spot. And so, you know, Joseph showed mercy. Now, the other part was Joseph, and it's all like what Greg taught us, is belief. That's the demarcation. Mm -hmm. You just have to believe and receive. And so with Mary's belief, when the angel came to her and then joseph was flipping out and you know it was interesting because his first reaction was to protect mary right i think most most jewish husbands at that time would not have, would have let her out to that bowl or whatever you know and tied her up and threw you know to yeah stone her and some so, italian husbands too much <laughs> well, they, they wouldn't have got out the house <laughs> they would took care of them <laughs> they would have they got <laughs> but um and then you had joseph who you know when the angel came to him 
He said, okay. And then, then they go to Bethlehem. It's like trying to get a hotel room doing the BCS National Championship. You ain't going to have one. And he's like, he didn't freak out. He just said, okay, I believe. And that belief led him to the manger. And so, you know, and the whole story after that, where, you know, you know, I don't know if it was years or weeks or months, you know, Angel came to him and said, get the heck out of here. You know, um, you know, uh, I mean, that was when Herod was Herod, 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 Herod. killing the little ones. So it was all the whole chain of events from Mary and Joseph's side mm -hmm. came from belief. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, there's so much, full, like I said, that's 351 to be exact messianic prophecy. When Joseph, Joseph fled to Egypt at that time, right. and there's a scripture about Joseph, you know, he would be taken out of Egypt. Right. Um, but yeah, it is, and and Zacharias, uh, Elizabeth, I believe. Yeah, he's the one that they he took his voice. The angel took the voice. Well, God took the voice away because he was showing some unbelief. Well, I, actually, when Mary was, and I, I heard this this morning, but when the difference between Zacharias and Mary was fear and wonderment, mm -hmm. they said that when Mary said, "I'm pregnant for six months," I don't know, I wasn't with a man. Boy, God, it's just wonderful. And I don't know how he did it, but it's just wonderful. Where Zacharias is freaking out, you know? He's like so freaked out. He, I mean, I think everybody's got their theory, but his inability to talk was his manifestation of having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's just me. But, you know, because he was, because he had so much unbelief in him. Right. And he was a fair, he was pharmaceutical in the sense that, you know, he, he probably he was a good man, but he was into oh, yeah, he was work. A, he was a priest. Yeah. He was a priest, and so, um, so, but that was the difference between Herod and Mary at that time: was wonderment versus fear. Zachariah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Zachariah. 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 Well, Herod too. Now that you mention it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew one was coming that was going to be greater than him. Yeah. Right. the scriptures, and he did the Italian thing and tried to take him out. So anyway, um that that's pretty much where I wanted to go. Um so if anyone has anything they'd like to share or... So it, an observation is that I think for a very long time church has focused on the where and the what and the who but it's completely missed not completely but but for the most part missed the true why mm -hmm. yeah and i think yeah. um when we started coming to that this church <laughs> and understanding the true why christmas became a significantly different holiday at least for me personally mm -hmm. and that why now is just not something that I think about on Christmas, but that why is there all the time. Mm -hmm. It's the gospel. Yeah. yeah, It truly is the gospel. It's the, the why God sent Jesus to earth. Mm -hmm. And um, I think most churches miss that point completely. Right. They get so focused on donkeys and, and uh, cattle and <laughs> presentations and plays and music and stuff like that. They miss the real reason that he came. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think I think it's interesting that Herod might have known the real reason, right? I mean, he was so convinced that he 
Yeah, the well, new I, ruler was coming. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I think well, I think that's what messed the Romans up. <clears throat> Herod thought that they were. I'm just supposition. He thought that there was going to be a leader who's going to right yeah. take his kingdom yep. on earth. So that's why he was freaking out. <clears throat> right. Um, and and to and, act. Yeah, I think he like really believed it. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, I mean, and I, then he, that they're that's they're, belief. They're talking about prophecies. Some people and yeah, I think he was pretty uh, shaken up. But he, but I think they, I, and that's why the Jews didn't receive Jesus because they just thought he was going to come in and be a be a uh, a, a ruler, a warrior. I mean, it, and it and it repeats itself. I mean, we probably did the same thing two years ago. You know, we thought that you know some flawed person would come in and. Bring in Christianity to our nation, which is right. crazy, but um, that's what we thought. Oh, well, I, I, I thought that. But it's almost a good indication how depraved the world was at that time. That Herod would, based on a prophetic scripture, or all, a bunch of prophetic scriptures, but also knowing where it was going to be because of that scripture, right. that it was in Bethlehem, um, just starts killing two-year-old kids. That's depravity. Um mm -hmm. No, so obviously not one age or one era is more depraved than the other, but boy, that almost indicates, yeah, good timing, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Good timing coming here when you did. Boy, the yeah. world is in a bad place right now. You know, the thing that I, I was, I've been thinking about since he was talking that he was going to talk about the word, um, and we all, yeah, I was thinking about, man, you know, we've known, we've known about God. I mean, everybody around here, I don't know a whole lot of people who've never heard of God or, you know, from whatever religion you come from. So you have this image of God and you were raised, whether it was tradition, whether you took on that belief system from friends or family or whatever, everybody's got their own um, image of God. Yeah. And I think the most profound thing is when you realize that he's like, I'm going to send, I'm going to, I'm going to come to this earth and I'm going to have my son declare me because for a sense from the day from the day the enemy came and 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 just laid down that lie there has been a distorted image of god and you can i mean i've been a christian for almost 30 years but you know even the first 20 of those 30 years i still had a distorted image of god you know and i loved god and i worshiped god and i taught my kids about god but i was still teaching them a distorted image of God you know when you tell them you know when you're walking in Calvinism we walked in Calvinism you know when you're walking in word of faith when you walk in these things that is nothing but a distorted image of God right and when you realize that he came and and I love we've been talking so much about the heart and Maurice's image thing with the heart and he's been preaching and Greg's been preaching all that and that's what he does he wants he wants that that the understanding of that word to come in and say I am not that person you thought I was. And I think about back then, these people, think about like, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, there was so many different kingdoms and so many different, um, you know, separations. And I don't know what the Gentiles were thinking about God, but I know they had to think he was a horrible ruler. And, mm -hmm. you know, look, he's not, not delivering his people again. And look, the Jews are the promised people. And, oh, Lord, if that's how he treats the promised people, who, who the hell are we? You know, we don't have a, we don't have a prayer. So think about that. I mean, I can't imagine what those people, what they thought, you know, living yeah. under the stories and the scriptures that had been misinterpreted for years and years and years and generations that they lived under that. I mean, they lived under fear and tyranny that we don't even understand. 
you know, we just had this distorted image of, hey, I asked you for something and you didn't give it to me. You know, what kind of God are you? You know, or I prayed for healing and you didn't give it to me. What kind yeah, of God are you? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, but then the Gentiles were probably in a better place. Well, they probably were. But they didn't know the scripture. That's what I'm saying. They the probably Jews were. <laughs> but my point is, and they had fear and right. they had this picture of God of wrath. But my point is, is when you when we we've all had a distorted image of God, and we may have had a distorted image of God up until ten years ago. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us. Yeah. You know that, that awe. That that's awe inspiring when you get that revelation, and it's just by learning. And yeah. hearing and hearing the word over and over and taking everything you've ever known or thought or imagined about God and put it over here and open your heart up to hear the truth. And like I said, we've been hearing so many messages and, and we have to keep hearing them about our hearts mm -hmm. because our hearts do get pressed in on and our hearts do get, mm -hmm. you know, you know, tugged in this direction every now and then. Mm -hmm. And those old thoughts and those old images they, they want to sneak in. The enemy wants them to sneak in because if he can distort the image of our God, of who he is, our father, who he is, well, then he's got us right where he wants us. Mm. You know, and I think that that's so, it's so imperative, the walk we've been walking in this church. We've been walking it for a long time. But I feel like lately, I know for me personally, we've been walking in some deep heart stuff. And I think the deep heart stuff that Greg's been putting on, you know, given to us and, and, um, and Maurice has been given to us, I feel like it's just a gentle tweaking a reminder. Like the word of God is speaking to us. You know that song, Word of God Speak? <laughs> Great song. Um, is speaking to us because he wants to prick our heart and say, hmm, what you thinking? And it may be something as goofy as Christmas and, and what it's all about and what, what it's become and what, it, what it's not anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's almost like a little pricking in the heart. Everybody, you know, everybody's walking in something. Right. Walking in something where you're being challenged to, to look at the true image of our God and the true character of our God. And ourselves. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Mm. Sharon, I went to a Christmas thing at a church. Speak up a little bit. Sharon, I went to a Christmas thing at a church here in Slidell last night. And the theme was... Uh, the birth of Jesus, you know, they're going to trace it from his birth all the way to cross. At the end of it, the pastor got up and he said, talked about uh, the angel saying, fear not. And uh, he said, but, you know, we're, we're supposed to fear God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus and uh, being born again. And if you don't fear God, it basically, he said, if you fear God, you have nothing else to fear. And then he said, if you don't fear God, then you should be afraid. Wow. What's coming? I wow. thought, oh, my Yikes. God. They, you know, they, That's oh. the good news right there. Oh. <laughs> That's the people who only go to church twice a year. Right. For Easter and Christmas. And, so and, I, and I, I walked out of there, and on the way home, I, I just thought, Jesus, thank you that I know who you are. Right. Amen. And you're not that. No. no. I said the guy obviously never looked up the the definition of the word fear, fear. in scripture. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But think about it, like you said. You know, it, it's it's just amazing that anybody and this man is obviously he's he's not a new pastor. He's not a young pastor. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a pastor leading these people and he's teaching them an incorrect image of our Father, he our Creator, our Lord. Of God. You know, I mean, like, that's baffling to me. It's well, just, it's baffling. He's basically teaching God's an insurance agent. 
So you buy fire insurance, right? Then yeah. you pay your premium. <clears throat> Part of maintaining the premium is, yeah, maybe tithing to this church or, or yeah. some kind of obligation. So, and I mean, why would anybody run towards that God? Right? No, you know, I love, when, I love when Glenn a couple months ago, when Glenn said, I get it, I get the cross, I get it. He's like, I can run to that God, I can embrace that God, I can love that God. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the, the church today isn't preaching the God that anybody would run towards. You'd, you'd be running away from them, but they want to. They want to impart fear. So if they impart fear of, of eternal damnation, well, then that'll get you. But again, that's just man. It's right. like no. Yeah. Right. I mean, Christ, everything Jesus represented. I mean, I, I mean, the only time you. I mean, we always talk about. You know, clearly he was fully human, so he did have emotions, and he could like. You know, when he, I love when he turned the tables because I would have been turning the tables too because that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> but uh, but it's nice to know we can relate. You know what right. I'm saying? But even in that, it was righteous. It was righteous. Yeah. You know, it was about him protecting him and wanting to preserve his father's house. Yeah. And he wasn't going to let them do it. But um, I can't yeah. imagine him ever losing it or really getting mad or angry or, you know, in any way, shape or form. And so when you think about that, that's how God is towards us in everything. I mean, not just in one thing. Not Plus, just in yeah. everything. Every that's thing. why Jesus, you know, is very focused on proving he was God. Um because he wanted people to see this this is God. That that person you think is God, based on what you've been reading and misinterpreting, this is God. This he's kind and gentle and humble. Um and, and I think, you know, I look at his first miracle, changing water into wine. It's almost like, see, you know, God's first plague, turning water into blood. Jesus turning water into wine. I think that was his first indication of this is God. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, even in the temple when they when they threw the the lady caught into caught in adultery, mm. and he started writing in the. And I didn't realize it until I I did research on temple floors. I was very bored, obviously. Um, <laughs> temple, temple floors, you get all kind of weird stuff. Um, that actually stone, he's engraving in the stone, probably writing out the law in stone since he was the law and people are looking at him and he stops and pauses and a few of them walk away and then he goes back and starts writing again in the stone. And then you realize back in Moses day where he had to make two sets of tablets because the first one was broken. You know, that was another case where, okay, we get it. God, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's, and what you said before, you know, most people don't get the why. I think the who is pretty distorted too yeah. um, of Jesus. I was going to say, I love what you said, Shelly, because I responded to a, a person's Facebook post yesterday. And this person's a very strong believer, but the post was about being broken by God so God could use you, right? <laughs> And I, I didn't go on and comment on her public page. I private messaged her and I said, have you considered that God is only always good and that he would never use, he would never intentionally break you to use you? He certainly can take advantage of situations and circumstances where we are broken by the world, mm -hmm. but the world doesn't need his help to break us, yeah. right? 
And her response back to me was, I'd never thought about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Praise God. That's awesome. Was it so, No. Um, I was taken back by the fact, because this is a person who is a mature believer, right. who had never even considered that what she'd read about God, because it was a copied and paste kind of thing, right. you know, on brokenness, that it wasn't right. She said, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go sit with the Holy Spirit on that one and consider that. Something else someone said, I was thinking, too, God didn't just start displaying that characteristic of himself towards us after we got saved. No. That is the largest, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. the biggest misconception ever. He has always been that God and that Father. He has always see nothing but good in us i mean that's that's everybody thinks it starts at salvation because of the way the pastors put out the salvation you can be saved you can be changed yeah that's when it's almost like that's when god will start loving you you know what i'm saying because if you believe that then you're still believing there was a god that was angry with you before you prayed a prayer even when we were yeah yeah exactly people people don't dwell on that the, the Christian believer doesn't yeah. dwell on that. They want to believe that we all, you're all like, it, it's that self unrighteousness, I guess you want to call it, <laughs> that we were the scum of the earth and then all of a sudden, woo, we got saved and we're, we're special now. No, your life changes when you realize the true God and you realize the true God has loved you from conception. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. seriously, he has loved you from the day he first conceived in his brain of you being his or yeah. his, his his creation well, you know it's simple exactly. when you know if you attribute if you fatherly qualities to god then a lot of things you believe back then seem so out of the ordinary that yeah would a real father act like that you know if i got two kids and one of them did something bad well i'm, a, I'm gonna kill my other kid to atone for what you just did yeah. you know it's 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 just it's so inconceivable that people would see God in a way, but and and a lot of people obviously are fathers, um, especially if you're a guy, um, that you look you know am I going to infect my kid with some deadly disease so all the people that know my child can grow from that and see his faith and you know you you think you think of things like that it's like no that's just it makes no sense. And I think, you know, I'm not a psychologist, um, but I think a lot of people's initial image of God may go back to their relationship. Oh, this sounds like a psychiatrist. Uh, their relationship with their own dad, maybe as a, a taskmaster or very uh, hung up on your behavior and punishment and so I, I think that I think a lot of people may start with a twisted view of God based on their own experience, and that's why they need to correctly. And it really goes back to the filter you're reading scripture with, and that that's one of the biggest changes since I've been here. I used to read scripture through the filter of God, hung up sin consciousness, behavior consciousness. And you could actually make scriptures with that filter read as if that is God. But if you read scripture now, you change your filter to grace and unconditional love. Those same scriptures back then that looked like wrath, now all of a sudden you see the love and the grace. 
And so it really has a lot to do with the filter you're reading scripture through. See that business that I heard last night? That is all rooted in Calvinism. Mm -hmm. And that's what's taught. You yeah. know, when I went to seminary, I, I never questioned. I thought these are the experts, so, you know, why question anything? And well, then yeah, I we questioned it and I got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were there. That was a good kicking. Election and all that. Yeah. I just think people need to spend time with the Lord and ask ask them to give him for him to give them a revelation of what the word of God manifested. The word made flesh, what that really means. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Lord is gracious and he's wonderful and he's good. And if you ask him, he will just start pouring it into your system. He will yeah. pour it into your system and he will get you so undone by it all. Like you can't help but mm. bask in the glory of that. Amen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was part of an organized religion all through my childhood and growing up here. I won't mention with one, which one. I don't want to single anything out. But going back to the who, um, I've never heard once that Jesus was God. Um, he was the Son of God. He was one of the Holy Trinity. But to actually, and you definitely didn't hear anything about him being the Word made flesh. No, never. Uh, Never heard that. I mean, when I first read that in John, it's like, boy, you talk about a wow moment. But yeah, I, I think the who is 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 definitely distorted, especially in organized religion. And yes. you know, probably in a lot of mainstream churches that might not stress the importance of us knowing not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. What is Jesus? Yeah, I was, that's important. I used to go to the Good Friday. I used to have to get all, well, I don't say On the Good Friday celebration, hear what you're saying. <laughs> I remember you would go to the stations, or you, I did it was a celebration, and I remember seeing a family, and you could see a mom with these kids who didn't want to be there. And one was acting up, and this is sort of an illustration of the guilt associated with Jesus, but she bopped him in the back of the head and said, Jesus is suffering this because of the way you just acted oh, just oh, now. Oh, <laughs> that was the old underline. Oh, oh, and, and, and so, you know, the thing is that Jesus came down, and if we were better behaved, yeah. he would not have had to go through that suffering. So when you go through the station to the cross, you're like, he did that. Because I was bad. <laughs> he did that because I was bad. And there was so much guilt and shame that's built up that you ran away from Jesus because you just couldn't handle that yeah. you caused this man so much pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you also thought, God, how much he must hate me right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. He's up on that cross thinking of me. <laughs> yeah, that's a guilt trip. Well, he is, but it's five it, years old. A different motive, right? He's on the cross thinking of you, but it's in love and not. Yeah, right, not, right, 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 right. He did it for me, not because it's of me. Right, exactly. Yeah. Big difference. Yes, yes, huge difference. But because uh, I think too, we watched an interesting movie last night, and um, it was actually about Tammy Faye, and it, it was very good, very well. But 
it, it just came out this year, but it was interesting how they segregate out sin in an American political culture in the sense that sin A, B, and C kept you out of heaven, but sin D, E, and F is sort of noble sin, and we'll put it. And also, too, is who committed the sin was a big deal. You know, if you're, And so it was just an interesting, you know, like, you know, what Jesus did with the... Um, with the um, prostitutes, was he probably took the most, the greatest sin with the biggest taboo, right? And said, "We don't condemn you, but yeah, you know, the American Church condemns certain sins that you can't even walk through the door if you're if you yeah. if you're in that place." Yeah, and then they get it backwards. Um, sin no more, and I won't condemn. Right, Instead right. of the way Jesus said it, the other way around. Well, he, I think he said just live with belief is what he realized oh, yeah. that. And yeah, I mean, everything that, else takes care of it, you know, that then let God work in your life. That's the other most misinterpreted word in Scripture of his sin. It's always a synonymous with behavior. Amen. But and that, that and, gives other people a more twisted view of God. And I, I can understand that someone who's, in a, you know, maybe more intellectual in their outlook would run away from God because you're like, this just doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, you're trying to put it together and say, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, we didn't run away from God when we realized it didn't make sense, but we did run away from a church when we realized what they were putting out there didn't match up with Scripture. The, <laughs> the God I knew when I first got saved. You know, you start, you get saved and you start with this picture of God of love. God delivered me. God, in her case, healed her miraculously. That is a God of love. And and you start at the right place. And depending on what you're listening to, what you're reading, Three weeks. who you're listening to. <laughs> Get indoctrinated. Yeah, you just, you know, she went from miraculous healing to, well, that same God also gives you terminal disease. One of our very good friends had ALS. And that's God, too. And it's it's talk about cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Right, right. That's when that's what drives people away. The cognitive dissonance. Of, I guess of the of the God of the Jesus that is taught to the church. That's right. And a lot of people say that it just doesn't make sense. And some people are just so scared that you know they want to buy the fire insurance, so they just sort of put up with it because say, oh, it's just so much better than. Then you get the whole sect of people that see Jesus as love and think everything about him is love and they get all upset because it's like, well, now you got license to sin. You just got license to sin. You know, you got those people. All y'all, y'all just want to love on Jesus. You just want to love on Jesus. Jesus is love and it doesn't matter what we do. And it's not that attitude. It's not that. It's that you walk in the life that God has implanted in you. You walking it out and you're not in people's faces committing all kinds of obscenities and doing crazy stuff because God's not holding it against me anymore. You know, you have this, these guys over here, then you got these guys over here. And Jesus is like, I'm neither one of these people. I'm right mm -hmm. here. Well, again, it goes back to your parents. I knew my, my, my dad was, he was tough. Never spanked, but I knew kind of how he would, to me and my two older brothers, but, and, but we never went in a weird direction. We were always didn't have license. kind of a straight line. 
and and we knew hey if we if we ever screwed up really bad you know we might get a little lecture but but we knew there was nothing we could do that he wouldn't love us and and again i i, I think i kind of brought that to my initial knowledge of god there's nothing i can do that he's not going to love me i mean he's my he's my dad but then again you get indoctrinated and you start hearing other things uh, you know, well, God loves you, so that's why he disciplines you. That's why he punishes you. That's that's why you're going through this hardship, because he loves you so much. It's like, really? Can you love me a little less? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what a, what a wonderful gift. What a wonderful shift to have gone to church before you knew grace and go, wake up in the morning and go, I have to go to church to now i want to go to church i want to and i you know and i love the people here and your family and mm -hmm. it just you know it, it makes my hair stand up it's just <laughs> wonderful it is oh. Dan, i see it yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place um, no no i appreciate you guys being here knowing it's uh me and not Greg. Oh. yeah yeah i stayed that on wednesday nights too <laughs> I'm just glad you're here because he is in and it's just me. I grab you listening. We miss you. Yeah, that's right. We hope things are going well in Orange Beach. But uh, no, it, it blessed me that you know, my first thought was, don't tell him. Don't tell him it's me. Um, <laughs> I can see the fights all over the world after my phone. Right? But no, it blesses me that... Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, the other gosh. thing too, I think is when is you know we were I think in prior you know what in most religions it's like there was always a demarcation between Christians and non-Christians. Uh, I mean, in the sense that even remember when we leased, well, we had a landlord. It was very important to him that we were Christian, yeah, because he was steeped <laughs> in Christianity. Wow, and 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 so. But what I think what happens is we did the same thing as the Jews, just thinking they're not Christians, so therefore they're not worthy of our love. They're not in the club, mm. and they write them off. And I mean, because they're in a club that are forsaken, damned, yeah. and that sort of thing. And um, you did know, you really believe that? Huh? Did you hate Jews? Well, no, no, I, yeah. no, I think I think we were. Oh, I think we, we, yeah. we were like the Jews at the time that hated the Gentile. Right, right. We were like Christians because, like, even if you think about, sure. you know, in the context of geop you know, geopolitics, mm -hmm. if we're in a war against, you know, the Muslim world, well, we're we're America. We're we're we're, you know, God's people. We're Christians. Mm -hmm. and they're not Christians, right. and, yeah. and it's like, no, God. You know, if you if right. you get the revelation. That God loves your enemy as much, or you can turn on, you know, MSNBC or Fox or whatever, and you see the person that drives you up the wall, and you see, you know, lying <laughs> or doing whatever they're doing. But you, but then you come with the revelation: God loves that person as much as me. That's right. Yeah. And so that, you know, I used to think if I saw somebody on a plane, they would get lecture from me instead of saying, you know what? I mean, you, you, your thought process is: God loves him or her. As much as I, you know, it's mm -hmm. so therefore you just look at it differently. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was a big revelation because we were always mm -hmm. taught 
you know, you, you shouldn't even that interact with thinner. a non-Christian. Right. You shouldn't interact with not them. The and they put them here and they put you in a little box here and they treat you like a box. So so when you were in that little box and you were talking to a Christian, you knew you were being demeaned right. and condescended to judged. and judged because of where you are. Mm-hmm. Even when you administer to them, they liked the stuff you would give them, but they also understood they felt like, I'm getting this from them. They almost felt like I'm just getting it to alleviate their guilt. <laughs> but their heart wasn't there because they had a different viewpoint. Because to say, I'm in this club and you're in this club, and you treat it differently because you're in that this club, and I and I, I look at you differently. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But That's right. right. It's funny how you know we have a relative... like Jesus would ever do that. Yeah, exactly. like that. right. Like Jesus would ever do that. Right. But we have a relative who's a lesbian. And she gets God. She right, she does. She mm. says, "I know God loves me," and and we know that. But years ago, we might have thought, mm, "Yeah, you sure about that?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you know they get it where others might not get it. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, there's certain depends on what sexual sin you're committing. You know. Right. <laughs> And, and you know whether you, you get it, you get in or you're out, or mm-hmm. you should be condemned or not. Yeah, that's yeah, an exclusive club. I think the why. I go with the why is the most important part of Christmas. The why. That's how I. That's how I'm feeling right now. Yeah. This year, the why is the most important part. Mm-hmm. I think the why and the who are kind of yeah. intertwined. The who is real big for me. Because you can't have the why without the who. True. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking while we're talking about this. This goes way back to Hurricane Katrina. How many beautiful, well-meaning Christians truly believe with their whole heart that God sent Hurricane Katrina to judge the New Orleans area? Yep. Oh. Yep. During Labor Day, during yep. a certain festival. Yep. What kind of a God would do that? <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The only thing that wasn't destroyed is Bourbon Street. Right? Amen. <laughs> 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 Mm-hmm. That was his mercy. Yeah. That was his mercy. <laughs> yeah. It's true, then. I think the why brings clarity to the food. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yes. The why brings clarity yeah. to the food. That's excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah. Well, this was very good. I really? got a lot out of it, especially the why and the who. Mm-hmm. Every time he said the who, I kept thinking of the band. I'm like, stop thinking about that one. <laughs> Well, we won't get pulled again. I, will <laughs> I look for tickets for on days. That, on that note. <laughs> I love when she's my straight man. All right, as soon as uh, my lovely wife composes herself, I'll be like, her. To close us in prayer. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you, Lord, for this day. We want to thank you, Father, for this season. Lord, we pray that we would approach this season fully invested in thinking about the who and the why, Lord. And we just want to, we want to, that's what we want this, this Christmas time to be um, consumed with, Lord. So we ask, Father, that you would arrest our hearts, arrest our hearts and overshadow us with your mercy and your grace of the truth of your gospel 
and the word that became flesh, Lord, and dwelt among us, and now, Lord, that dwells in us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love, for your kindness, for your grace, for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that, um, that this revelation will go forth in a mighty, mighty powerful way, Lord. Mm-hmm. We worship you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Gary. 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 Thank you, Gary.